Hello operatives, welcome to Once Upon a Kill Team, the podcast about narrative play in Warhammer 40k Kill Team. I'm Sean. And I'm Jason, and we want to talk to you about building stories around the gameplay in this grim, dark, terrible universe. In this episode, we're going to talk to you about how we are setting up our new narrative campaign. There are new teams for most players, lots of new missions to pick from, and a new war zone to fight in. We'll discuss why we've picked our new teams and introduce the operatives to you. And in this episode, we have a special guest, our campaign GM, Sal. Welcome to the show. Hi, Jason. Hi, Sean. Thanks for inviting Hello. me. To the... <laughs> Thanks for inviting me to the podcast. Really excited uh, to be here. Oh, great. We're really pleased to have you. So we're also going to talk to you about our recent hobbying and our latest games. And we'd love to give a special mention and shout out to Ben from Battle Brothers Tabletop uh, YouTube channel. He's a legend. He's been fantastic at supporting us on these early episodes of this podcast. He's also recently started a Discord server where Sean and I often chat about narrative in the narrative channel. Links to this in the show notes. We hope to see you there. First up, of course, we have Hobby Corner. This is where we discuss what we've been up to on the hobby front this week. So, Sean, what have you been up to? I have been painting up my Primaris Chaplain on bike. For those of you in the call, here he is. He is sitting resplendent on a Custodes jet bike. That is beautiful. Rosiest big enough to take out someone from halfway across the board, to be honest. <laughs> and if uh, and it, and so much bling, even a gangster rapper would be embarrassed. Well, <laughs> I like I like my Death Watch to feel opulent at best. I think, to be honest, they'll put the custodies to shame. But um, that that's what hobby work I've been on. Been been painting white to um represent the town of Warhawks. One of my one of my friend James's uh, chapters, trying to represent everyone within the Death Watch army. And apart from painting him up, I've been wrestling at trying to, uh, for the base for him, I've got this lovely oval base. I cut out the top and like reset it because I want to do some resin. So I've got this lovely chunk of slate that's going to give us some elevation. And I want to pin the bike onto the top of the slate. I've only got a little handheld drill bit. And I'm trying to go into the stuff. Sal, I think you saw me having a go at it when I brought it to our game um, a couple of weeks ago. And it's just there squeaking away, chiseling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember Nanometer it. <laughs> by nanometer. <laughs> I'm getting there, though. I'm getting there. Games-wise, oh, who do we have? I, I had uh, two games with Nick at the weekend. They were great. We did, we did a league-matched play match, which, well... On this podcast, we want to hear nothing about, but I lost abysmal. So that's another reason I won't go into it. <laughs> <laughs> and then we did a what if narrative match where we both played, it was his Legionnaires against my Death Watch. And we played six operatives apiece, but they were all at eighth rank. So they were Ooh. all XP 60, max level, all the min max. Um, battle honors that you can take and uh, it was a bloodbath and more evenly matched than you'd think. Really? Yeah. Did you roll for your battle honors or did you select them uh, as you boosted them up? 
so I I took my Death Watch as they were in our campaign and then kind of extrapolated what path they were on. Right. Uh, and I think Nick chose them from the from the get go because there were far too many plus two wounds and five up feel no pains for random for random uh, <laughs> size to decide. <laughs> um, but it was just a nice it was a nice uh, But they are evil. Flex. So what did you expect? They are, they are cheaters, cheaters, all of them. Not Nick, <laughs> just the chaos. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> were there uh, what... any um sorry, go ahead, Jason. No, you go ahead, Sal. I was gonna I was just gonna ask, were there any uh battle honors that just sort of didn't apply on, on any any of the models? Like um I there so like... there's a couple of battle honors that just for example don't make sense, you know. There are there are a few. There's um I was looking at some for my my warp coven going forward, and there's literally a battle honor that the Zangors can gain, but it just gives them something that they've already got in the in their rules. I'm like, well, I'm never gonna take this one. <laughs> yeah, I think the rules say that if you get a battle honor that doesn't actually change anything about your your character, like a feel no pain on a death guard model. Yeah. Uh, you just roll again or something yeah, if, roll if you're rolling randomly. Try again. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, exactly right. So, but but luckily the uh, we had choice for the for the later rank certainly. So we tried to make them tailored towards each model, and it, and it helps for each model that they're limited to, you know, two or three out of the four battle honors. Yeah. Barring anything from the bespoke. Mm-hmm. They're kind of tailored in that way, anyway. <laughs> uh, Jason, what have you been up to? I've been doing cheap hammer. Uh, is that a thing? Um, it is. So I, um, I'm not going to spend whatever million pounds it is on the Nackmund terrain. I went down to my local hardware store, Wix. For those in England, will know Wix, and I bought some electrical pipes for. I don't know, two pounds or something. I've got loads of electrical, plastic electrical pipes, which I think if I just put a few added details on are going to be just as good as those fancy pants, um, Nackman stuff. I think you're right on the money. Just some greebly bits and no one will know the difference. Uh, yeah, I've got, I've got a couple of, um, yeah, sort of stuff left over from uh, some other models I made that I might just glue on. But I'm, I'm sort of insanely pleased in myself for um, spending almost no money. <laughs> and, the, and the other thing, my other dream is to make a base for my uh, Wormblade team, which we're going to hear about more in a minute. I managed to secure from one of my friends who got a new TV this week, a bit of polystyrene that I'll styrofoam. I'm going to make, I'm uh, going to chop up and make into a factory that my gene stealers are going to live in. So yeah, the opposite of spending tons of money or spending almost no money, but that's good. <laughs> Sal, I know you always up to some fantastic projects. What have you been uh, having on the go this week? I, I like how, um, you know, you're talking about kit bashing and doing things DIY as a, as a, as a good money saving option. And um, I used to think that as well, but then I, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but then I decided I was going to create a custodian team using Primaris aggressors and then convert it by, you know, giving them hammers instead of their bolter fists 
and um, that wound up costing a lot more than a, than just a just a single box of custodians. Would have. Never mind, never mind the Gatling cannon that you've got mounted <laughs> on their shoulders. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and these big old shields that they're holding as well. Yeah, yeah. Who's that, gorgeous, who says kit Who says kit bashing saves money? <laughs> oh, no one. Well, it sounds like between us. Uh, Games Workshop have got the same amount of money. Uh, so what I what I didn't give them, you thankfully stepped up. <laughs> exactly, it averages out. Yeah. yeah. Thank Thank uh, you for saving money on my behalf. <laughs> uh, look, it's uh, it's a service that I provide. <laughs> so as to what I've been doing in terms of hobby this week, we we had a a recent tournament at Bad Moon Cafe in London, and. The week prior to that, uh, I was furiously painting up a squad of legionaries, loyalist legionaries. So that's a, that's a couple of imperial fists that I've sort of, uh, uh, you know, kitbashed together to uh, represent the different bespoke models of the legionary teams. And it was my first time trying oil washes. Ooh. So. It was it was it's really kind of cool, you know. You just uh, var do a gloss varnish on the model after air, after airbrushing it, and then you do an enamel wash, and the oil just sort of seeps into the recesses like magic. Is it kind of like repelled and gets pushed into where? Yeah, it's yeah. It's like a hydrophobic. Well, you know, <laughs> almost hydrophobic. So it just sort of spreads along the recesses really, really well. Is this your first go at oil? Yeah, yeah. This was the first time I've used. Well, in a, yeah, this is the first time I've used enamel washes or oil paints. So yeah, I was I was very wary about it, and I think I did like three coats of cloth varnish before I even <laughs> went in, just in case. But the funny thing that happened was uh, I, I painted these guys up to this level, which is that they're base coated and they're varnished and they're I've I've done the oil wash and I was uh, getting ready to do the the details, you know, the chest aquila and the, the trim and all the metal and things like that. When I checked BCP for the other players who are playing. And I saw that there were quite a few other legionary teams, and no <laughs> one playing Pathfinders, <laughs> and, <laughs> and no one was taking Pathfinders. And me, being the hipster that I am, immediately put my legionaries to the side that I've I'd been working so hard on, and then just quickly started painting <laughs> the remainder you of my Pathfinder. <laughs> I am a hobby hipster. I am a hobby hipster. <laughs> So yeah, I've been working on these two teams, um, this uh, team of loyalist legionaries, and also my kitbashed pathfinders team. I saw I saw the freehand work you did on your your medic this morning. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I was I was pretty pleased with that last night. That is some disciplined <laughs> freehand, I'll say. Um, there was there was a reason I chose to showcase that shoulder pad because the other uh -huh. one doesn't look quite so nice. <laughs> but yeah, I, I you know I I think Sean, you and I were were a little bit alike in that, you know I just love kit bashing these models and making them look really really unique and and different from anything else on the tabletop because my pathfinders are pr pretty much custom as well. I I didn't have the new upgrade sprue, so. All of it is done 
using bits and pieces and millipart and things like that. <laughs> yeah, we're we're leaving Jason in the club on his own. <laughs> no, no, I, 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 no, I, there's listeners out there who I want to reassure that it's okay just to build the thing as it comes out. <laughs> it is most definitely pa- okay. Paint it like it does, you know, like you see on the, you know, in the booklet that comes with it. That's absolutely fine. I will actually say, you know, Sean, <laughs> you're saying that Jason's out in the cold by himself, but we, he, he was just telling us about his kit bash terrain. I know, I know. I'm, yeah. I've, seen, I've seen the rest of his terrain as well. It's really... Those cement barricades are fantastic. <laughs> oh, you haven't, you haven't seen my Tic Tac Munitorium ammunition boxes. <laughs> uh, I'm, very, I'm very pleased. Yeah, okay, well, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm a total hypocrite because I, I generally do... Uh, I think the only kit bashing I've done on any model I've ever built is I think I put a bolter on a model that originally had a las gun for the vet guard, I think, yeah. and that's it. And I felt like a god, a god <laughs> of kit bashing, yeah, of doing one thing, and then you two are just in a, you know, <laughs> you, you guys are champions league, and I'm sort of fourth division or something. No, no, um, the, the truth is, if you build things straight out the box and paint them as they are on the box, you are going to be playing games with that team quicker than all of us fiddling around little plastic bits for weeks yeah, on it. That's right. <laughs> go go, team Jason. Straight to the action. Yeah. This is true. This is true. So well, that, that, was my, that was my hobbying for this week. But the other thing that I did this week was the actual tournament, which I played Pathfinders. And I played them for the first time. So it was a it was a real trial by fire there, <laughs> and I've been playing a lot of D tier teams in all the previous tournaments. So uh, now that I'm playing a really really strong team, an S tier team, the best. Er, supposedly the best. Everybody was saying to me, "Oh, Sal, you know, you, how does it feel playing a really strong team?" And I was like, "Well, now I don't have an excuse for losing all of my games anymore." <laughs> <laughs> and I did lose most of my games. I went. One and three. <laughs> so, um, you can't blame the pilot at this point. <laughs> so I'm gonna Hi. I'm gonna blame the nerfs uh, from the de- balance data slates now. You yeah. Know, like I, I can't do worthy cause every round. So and I can't shoot people out of heavy cover anymore. So and put um, eight grenades on your grenadier. Yeah. 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 None of that. No, that's that's really the reason why. So I unfair. Um, I should have made. <laughs> should have let you have an exception. Don't they know who you are? <laughs> uh, no, that sounds good. Uh, but did you have a fun time at the tournament? I've not done a tournament yet. Yeah, I had a really great time. Um, it was a bit of a shame that I didn't get to play any of the new teams, though. I I, I managed to dodge Legionaries, Void Scarred, and Void Dancers. Which is incredible, to com- considering how many people yes. brought Legionaries. And yes. I think I think nearly as many brought the Void Dancers as well. There were a couple of Corsairs as well, so I I managed to dodge like eight or nine players in that tournament. <laughs> Which, well, I mean, it makes sense because since I lost most of the, my my games, and the new teams were probably a bit higher placed in the, in the standings. Yeah. Yeah, I did. I did the tournament back in um November, and I'd I'd only been playing Kill Team for maybe two weeks beforehand before the guys from uh, LWG were like. John, we're doing a there's a tournament with Bad Moon. Do you want to come like be a great chance for you to like learn the game? Five games in a day, 
is certainly a trial by fire. You said <laughs> by game four, my brain fried from playing all this chaos test against some of the best people in the country, I believe. Yeah, yeah. I think Sir Ken is like uh, currently highest ranked in in possibly the world. I don't. I, don't I, I think he is. You know. However, this is not a tournament podcast. No, no, oh, no. yeah. <laughs> There's about seven other podcasts you can go to if you want that kind of talk. That's true. So, we need a narrative tournament is what we need. <laughs> I'd, I'd love to run one. I've got an idea as well, but that's for another episode, I reckon. <laughs> so uh, how about before we get into the main segment of the show, have a word from our sponsors. Thracker Funkus Beer. Want something that fuels your boys into a frenzy of action and fuels your death copter? Or even better, fly a copter whilst drinking the fuel. The laughs almost never end. Thraka fungus beer, probably the most ubiquitous liquid in all of Orkdom. Warning, it can explode on contact with flame or air. Note, if any Ork player wants me to explain what ubiquitous means, please write into the show. Tell you what, make mine a double. That sounds delicious, volatile, and deadly. Yeah, I'll, I'll pop in a pop in a <laughs> thracker fungus beer and coke. <laughs> Maybe we could uh, have a mission of fuel run, but except instead of Prometheum, it's thracker fungus beer. That would explain yes. why the gene sealers were chugging it down like no one. Yeah, the yeah, explodes in contact with air, so be careful. <laughs> Um, anyway, round to our main segment of the uh, episode, uh, preparing a new Kill Team campaign. Way back in episode one, a couple of episodes ago, we talked about our first narrative campaign, Warzone Octarius, and we gave some idea of how it went for us. I think we all had a pretty fun time. I know I did. And yeah, I think we've learned a few lessons, I hope, hopefully, and we really want to have another pop at it. So, uh... Earlier this year, our, our revered leader, Sal, suggested that we, we have a little reset on the group. We can mix teams up if we want to and consider incorporating missions from the Kalnath and Naxos box. And I think we're all pretty excited about a bit of bit of fresh, fresh action on the battlefield. Some of us have gotten a bit stale with the Octarius terrain and missions. And playing on the Nackman set this weekend, it is fantastic. Bit of verticality, lots of like interesting uh, lanes of fire going on across between the two teams. It, it's really good fun. Uh, so I, I've not played again on the uh, new Nackman terrain set yet, but um, I've got a lot of the terrain pieces because I, I had a box of Charadon, and uh, it's pretty much the same stuff. And yeah, pretty much. Just just arranging it, you know, it, it looks so much so different from. From Octarius, it's like a breath of fresh air. I think the the first campaign went really, really well. I would probably call it campaign zero, just as a you know testing grounds, just to see how the new system works and what we can do with it. And you know, it it served us really, really well. But I think everybody's really got a little bit of Octarius mission fatigue at this point. <laughs> and you know, there's been two box sets since then, and that's a huge amount of missions that are completely new and completely new to play, uh, along with the terrain. It's a little bit, it might be a little bit difficult arranging games because 
I don't think a lot of the uh, cafes that we generally play at carry anything other than the Octarius terrain. No, but I know Bad Moon, they've got like their box of anything terrain. So if you can cobble together something out of that, like, yeah. that works as well. And if you've just got Octarius, use the Octarius terrain, but just run the different missions. Like, yeah, that's yeah. fine as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a. Um... It is something workable. I mean, this is this is 40k, right? You can you can play anything you want, so you don't have to play exactly according to the terrain uh, specified in in the narrative mission. But it's good to try and match it to some degree because some of the missions are are very focused around the terrain, like some of the evac inbound mission, for example, where yeah. you ha- have to arrange the Octarius terrain into a little fort, and you know. So it's it's kind of important that you have a fort in that, in that mission then. Yeah, Jason, Jason and I mentioned a couple of episodes ago how much fun we had on, on that one. Yeah, yeah. It, it's yeah. an interesting mission. Although um, when I played Nick a couple of weeks ago, we, we played a, a Nackman scenario called, what was it called? Something Substation. And it, 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 it supposed to have used the, um, you know, the, the pipes and, and that kind of thing. And I brought my homemade terrain which didn't didn't quite fit but you know we we just instead of changing it to switching off a sub you know a factory or whatever it's supposed to represent uh, we just switched the mission to be there was a communications van that they had to do instead all the rules to the mission were the same same number of you know everything else was the same we just narratively slightly tweaked the scenario and also i thought it made it more narratively plausible and uh, so I think if we do a bit of that kind of thing, I think that's where we can, you know, not have any problems really. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. There should be some. Uh, I I definitely think there should be some uh, flexibility in and in the mission parameters, and you know, just just try to have some fun. So I think um, in terms of lessons from this current campaign, one of the things that I really wanted to do with the campaign was really focus on the stories that come up with each mission, both before and after the mission. And so I had this vision in my head of writing a little blurb, which was sort of like a mission packet for uh, each of the kill teams that were participating in that mission. Very narrative, you know, very fluffy and things like that as to why you're doing this thing and why it's important and then after the mission just uh, something similar just uh writing up the outcome of that mission in a very in way and i did that quite a bit initially in the campaign but then i realized and and this is the disconnect between me being a, a dungeon master back before before i used to play kill team when i used to play a lot of rpgs yeah. i'm not there when you're playing your mission. <laughs> so I don't know what happens exactly. I can't dramatize the dice rolls that well. And I can't, you know, write a story about the cool thing that happens because I wasn't there to witness it. I, ha- I have to rely on the the, ba- the battle report that's uh, published by the two players afterwards. And so then I realized, you know, that's, that's not something that can be done, and it's it's really up to the players to to make that narrative and to make that write up. And to to their credit, I, I'm blessed with a lot of really great players in this campaign who are really really into the narrative and who 
you know, spend so much time to to just write the stories of their battles after the battle. And they're uh, really spoiled with talent in the group. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Ricardo drew some art uh, for uh, one of your matches with him, Sean. Uh, he did. Well, it's uh, it's actually the art that we're using for the for the thumbnail of the podcast. That's true. That's true. That was the I think the Bruiser veteran. Yeah. Uh, punching a, a space marine to death with his metal fist. <laughs> yeah, knocking out knocking out my sergeant's clocks. Just it, yeah, it that was truly truly astounding. Yeah, that was pretty awesome. So in in terms of that, so that's one of the lessons that was learned from from this campaign. Uh, don't try to impose a narrative on your players and just let them come up with it on their own. I think I might still try and do some some things to maybe stoke the creative juices. Um, I really like the concept of doing events. Um, well, you you did a couple of events. They the the Tyranids versus Imperium was fantastic. <laughs> it it sort of petered out, but I I did have some high hopes for that one the the issue was that we only had two tyranid players yeah so the solution that we came up with that was sort of that even if you're not a tyranid player you can be aligned with the tyranids maybe unknowingly so say for example uh, ricardo's guardsmen they might unknowingly be working for a gene stealer cult or you know something like that yeah you uh, could pick five yeah so um, that was that was a, a kind of a fun thing, although it it was it was just a, a trial thing, I, I, w- I would say. But I think in in contrast, the new tournament finale that that we've got going right now is is something that that sort of grabbed a lot of players a lot more. And I personally, I'm I'm pretty pretty fond of it. <clears throat> Yeah, I think I think it's kind of gotten everyone excited about it again, especially as we're tying tying this this current campaign in a nice little bow before we move on to the next one. And yeah. everyone's getting like, "What are you making? Oh, where, where's your team gotten up to? Like, what have you been up to?" And just everyone's talking about it like again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I, uh, I, I think these 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 sort of dedicated missions with some 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 specific bespoke rules were really worked i mean I, I was just a bit jealous of hearing about especially as you've got two different pairs of teams running the same mission and they both did it in such fantastically different ways just just was narratively brilliant i thought that was really good i'd I really welcome more of that i'm really keen to do some more custom missions if i can and i think what i might do with this ne- next mission uh, next campaign is instead of focusing my energies into writing narrative battle reports or mission reports, mission handouts, I'll leave that to the players. And then when a spec op is completed, so one of the things that we've been doing in this campaign is that when a person, when a player completes a spec op, they get a special narrative mission, which is, is thematic to their kill team's goals in this campaign. And the spec op that they've just completed. So if you just completed secure archaeotech or something like that, then your narrative mission will be to retrieve a certain item that's being held by another another kill team or something along those lines. And I think 
it might be fun to have some custom missions for for those little special so. missions. Yeah. I think it would just make them feel that bit that bit more special, especially if you played six games to get up to that point. Yeah. And that's providing you score what you want to in each of those uh, each of those games. And then and then you just have this this really nice payoff at the end of it. <laughs> yeah. It, it it just feels like you're you're reaching like that next arc in your story, which I guess you are once you complete the spec off. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So what are you guys hoping for in the next in the next campaign beyond just new missions and speaking personally i've 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 really enjoyed uh, writing up little reports after each battle and well having a sort of whoever with whoever i'm playing develop a little premise for what you know narratively the mission is about between us that makes sense i think i spoke in the last podcast about i think it's really important to me that that, that there's a real reason why i'm fighting this other person yeah um even even though we're making this all up, and then um, so I started writing battle reports for my veteran guards. Hey, I got better at it, but also I started recording more information about each player. And I wish earlier on I'd been a bit better at recording cool moments for individual operatives. Yeah, and and so sort of so so this time I'm really looking to kind of like try and get more of a almost a personal arc. For some of the operatives, particularly when I'm playing Wormblade, so the character operatives, particularly like that, I've got a Kellamorph and a, and a Sanctus, and I've, you know, my, they're definitely going to get, you know, heroically written about. I'm pretty sure, and things like that. So to be slightly fair on myself, when I started, I was just getting to learn the rules and, and yeah. getting to uh, the the vet guard team is quite a, it's actually quite a complex team to play because each each operative is. Has got its own individual set of rules to learn. So, it's a meaty one to start off with as well. Yeah. 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 So I'm 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 not I'm not being harsh on myself, but but by sort of game four or five, I was getting narratively better. But I can, I can now I feel I can just start that from the beginning. And and like you were saying, Sal, you know, like having as you, particularly as you get to near the end of a spec op, having a special mission. And I think we've 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 talked a little bit about maybe even. Sort of boss battles, that kind of thing, and that might be a, you know, particularly if we get to an end of a campaign, sort of thing where all of us can do some some larger, larger mission to 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 finale it, and that be, I'd love I'd love that really. Yeah. Um, so make it make it so. Um. <laughs> <laughs> I think uh, what I might do is create a custom mission for each spec op, and that way I don't have to make something from scratch for every single spec op that gets completed as it gets completed and just have that way them ready to go yeah and you know you can tweak them in in whatever way that you want it's it's just about having a kind of a template to start off with that sounds great what about you sean uh, anything you're hoping for from this next campaign so i'm i'm really looking forward to playing a bit more of a complex the, the Death Watch were very point and click <laughs> because because they didn't have all their fancy rules or everything. And even when they were right. max rank, it yeah. just made what they did better rather than do anything new. So I'm really looking forward to, you know, my my librarian pull fire down from the sky. And, and ju- I'm going to try and make it feel a bit more cinematic. Yeah. I'm going to really try and push that immersion a little bit. Be be the be the director behind the camera when I'm doing my write up. There's this um, 
you just made me think of uh, uh, an RPG system called Open Legend. And it has a, a mechanic called legend points. So uh, when you create a camp, uh, when you create a um, a character in Open Legend, you select two flaws that your character has, and these flaws can be anything from you know like a phobia, or maybe they're sickly, or maybe they're old or greedy or something like that. And anytime in 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 the adventure, you can act according to your flaws and have it be a detriment to your party. Like say, for example, you know, you see an obviously trapped chest that's going to throw a fireball at your entire party, but you say to the GM, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to trigger my greed flaw and I'm just going to lunge at that, that treasure chest. And the GM says, okay, yeah, that's going to be detrimental to your party. Here is a legend point for you. And then when you get that legend point, you can, it basically, it gives you a, a few bonuses. Like you can re-roll something at a later point, or you can, you know, turn it in for experience for your character or something right. like that. And it's it's there to encourage some more narrative-based things to happen, something a bit more, you know, character-driven. And I'm I'm curious about whether it's something like that could be, implemented for kill team because I, I remember I think so I remember back in the first edition of kill team there were squad quirks yeah. that you could select from and uh, they never really did anything with that it was just a it was just a thing that you had on your data slate but maybe if um if you act you know according to your squad quirk and your opponent you know, agrees that yes, this is this is a bad move for you. <laughs> <laughs> then you get one floating EXP point or something that you can put on any of your operatives once per game. I would even go the next step to say that maybe you could get like positive and a negative quirk for each operative if you wanted to. Mm -hmm. So like uh, we were talking about greed just then. Like if I have a salamander's librarian who's got like a greed of a dragon or something. And he just yeah. wants to go and collect all the all the objectives that he can if he's doing loot and scavenge or something and he's just yeah. leaping from pile to pile. You know, want wanton of whatever threat may be maybe looming around the corner for him. That could be really cool. Yeah, yeah. Might be interesting. Even if there isn't like an in-game reward, I might do that just for as you were saying, Jason, just some character art mm. uh, personality to the models. Yeah, yeah, and and the thing I was thinking, like you say, if you have one, yeah, so you 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 take a thing that your character has done, either really good or really bad in a in a game, and then add that to their little narrative arc, and it could be even you know why you write in as to you know when you level up, why they got that level up could be, <laughs> and 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 it, <clears throat> I suppose the other thing I was going to say. It, so in the last campaign, we were rolling for our level ups rather than choosing. And I, I think I, I'm still keen on doing that because I quite like the randomness of it. And sometimes yeah, they're yeah, good yeah. and sometimes they're less useful. <laughs> I um, think um, I think a lot of the people, uh, a lot of the players had a little bit of a problem with the ra rolling randomly. So I was thinking about a compromise where you roll two dice and pick which which option which of those two options you get. That should sure. not work. 
Yeah, I think yeah, yeah. a bit of control over it. Yeah. <clears throat> okay, I think um, should we um, uh, go through some of the teams that we're going to be looking at in the next campaign? Yeah, what are the players have been? I'm keen to know what you guys are playing. <laughs> right. Well, uh, I'll run down our list. So Sean is playing. I think you're calling it Death Watch HQ. Yeah. Um, so this is Space Marines using the rules of Warp Coven. So I'm assuming there's going to be some multiple librarians in there. Uh, there, there, there are certainly going to be. I'll, I'll go into it in a little bit. But we, we have a lot of psychic powers, quote unquote, slash Death Watch technology. Ah, oh, okay, right. And uh, your team name is the Fantastic Nexus Council. Yeah, so, the, um, council of, the Council of Watch Fortress Nexus. So I love that name. I love that name. That's so cool. <laughs> well, well, I was thinking I've got to, got to phone up the Nexus Council about my bins that haven't been emptied. Yeah, we'll we'll sort that out for you. <laughs> Just dump it in the warp. <laughs> Talking of emptying bins, it's probably this team that does it. So I'm I'm going to be playing the Worm Blade, the Bespoke Gene Stealer Cult team. And uh, I've come up with the, the name, the House of Special Purpose, which I hope is suitably sinister. The name oozes mystique. It, well, I love it. If yeah, I invited I you round to the, come round to my house, house of special purpose. <laughs> it, so it sounds like a cult. <laughs> it sounds like a cult. <laughs> it's either going to okay. be good or very bad. <laughs> Yeah, I now feel I've put you both off ever coming around to my house. <laughs> um, which is not what I want, because I do want to play games with you guys. Um, uh, we've got a pair of rival Chaos Legionaries teams. Now, I think this is really good. So we've got one team of Night Lords called the Baleful Eye. So I think that's fantastic. Some real, real evil guys. And, and David is a fantastic player. Go to our tournaments. They're actually a continuation of his Heretic Astartes team from Campaign 1, but he's going to be playing them with the, the new Legionaries rules. So I think yeah, I'll try a lot not... of the operatives are going to be carrying over. Yeah, seeing as he, he demolished me with his not-so-good team, uh, <laughs> I, look, I, look forward, I look forward to playing him. Uh, but he's great. And then we've got Nick, who's playing his Legionaries as Alpha Legion. I've got to say, my, my, my favourite of the Chaos... Uh, the Chaos Legion teams um, called Hydra's Fang. Quote no. unquote. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, they could be good guys. What am I talking about? They could be. Uh, I think Nick has the intention of playing them both ways. <laughs> A very, very alpha Legion of him. Very. And, and I would add, narratively, that's fantastic for us because it, it means it really opens up what missions, yeah. what slant on a mission you can do. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I I also just wanted to mention something that I love about David's legionaries, the Baleful Eye. They're based off an actual in-universe squad of Night Lords. There's a book oh, series they? about them. Yeah. Oh, fantastic! Yeah, yeah I um, <laughs> I remember this when I um, <laughs> when I first started writing some battle reports for him, I I realized I have no idea what the night lords are all about <laughs> <laughs> so i looked them up and when i was reading through the wiki a lot of the names were very very familiar 
And I looked at David's data slate and uh, I looked at the wiki and I said, hang on a minute. <laughs> <laughs> these, are, these are the same guys. <laughs> so that gave me that gave me a lot of ammunition to use <laughs> for his uh, I think for his special. That's a really good idea, though. I think we'll probably do a later episode on uh, Black Library inspiration <laughs> for, for your narrative. So carrying on, we've got a Hunter Clay team from Dave, who I'm playing tomorrow. Think we've yet got a name for those guys but i've played them already he's he's really good i'm looking forward to playing more games we've got patrick who's playing high fleet tyranids who are called high fleet onx blood brilliant name onyx. um onyx blood because they're yeah. black and they're very scary uh they i've are. come up against them before matt is going orc commandos officially Ooh. The most kill teaminess team apparently so, they are <laughs> top of the chop number one um i think ricardo's yet to pick who he's going to play we have guy our uh, our resident tournament winner uh is playing corsairs which i'm very excited about I've not played them yet i've played against mm -hmm. them yet i should say and yeah really look forward to those sal are you playing pathfinders in this one um i haven't completely decided between pathfinders or talons so Actually, both are good. Both. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but yeah it's a toss-up i've got the pathfinders and i mean they've got some cool things that they can get bespoke but then i've got a really cool custom talents team as well which um... team look incredible <laughs> thank you <laughs> but I, I think it might be pathfinders honestly because uh, I'm, I'm seeing a lack of a lack of good in this list of the greater <gasps> variety. <laughs> yeah, we don't, don't need mean, more I'm... Imperium. Uh, I'll have you know, I'm fighting a revolution for the, <laughs> for the goodness of all. Uh, <laughs> how do you? And, and I'm, I'm really hoping um, Jenny can join us with some Space Wolves. That would be amazing. Yeah. We haven't got any um, uh, quote-unquote good Space Marines on the team. Then None of them are good, though, are they? They're all <laughs> variations of awful. Depends, I think uh, uh, depends on your opinion of Vikings. I think Vikings are pretty good in my book. <laughs> Pillage. I, um, I think we've got some other players that are also interested in in the narrative campaign. Ooh, um, I I'm not sure if they've actually joined the campaign yet or not, and they're just sort of lurking. But Paolo from LWG seemed quite interested, and um, and Gorm. I had a pl I had a game or two against him, and he he's just such a great guy, and I think he'd yeah. be a great fit for this narrative campaign as well. So, and and he did express some interest in it. So hopefully, once uh, once we get this this new campaign off the ground, we'll have a lot more players as well. <laughs> oh, the more the merrier. Yeah, I, I'm thinking so, maybe I should recruit some of you guys listening right now to help me come up with some of these uh, missions, because uh, the more players, the more work. <laughs> Definitely. Uh, yeah, yeah. Everyone, if you're listening, do write in, and we will make sure that any of your suggestions get passed along to Sal. And then, uh, well, well, you'll hear if they made it through or not, because we'll be talking about them right here. So those are the teams that are coming up in the campaign, and some of the ones that we don't know about yet. But the ones that we do know about that are uh, mine and Jason's. Jason, do you have a little bit for us to learn about? House of special purpose. Yeah, so I've gone slightly over the top and I've actually written an origin 
sort of origin story for them. So I'm just I'm just gonna I'm just gonna read this out to you, uh, dear listener. So um, I did I did this also with the vet guard as well. So I'm kind of like trying to give a little bit of a background, uh, partly for myself. So here goes. Uh, crushed by the terrible oppression of the Imperium, a band of revolutionaries fight for the future of the planet. A successful revolution won't be easy. It may take many years, but the fight is righteous and victory is assured. Inspired by the leadership of the first citizen, the revolution spreads in secret, husbanding resources and eliminating all who oppose it. The citizen guard, as the insurgents call themselves, have many cells that fight in direct action missions, one of whom are known as the House of Special Purpose. This group of dedicated and ruthless operatives will sacrifice all for the cause, preparing the world for the saviors from the stars who will bring liberty and equality to all. The first citizen has many groups to call on to further the revolution. However, one of the most prized is called the House of Special Purpose. Outwardly seen as industrial workers, the group comes together when required for special missions or cancelling enemies of the cause. Led by Sitson Trotsky, the group can muster significant firepower with mining lasers and seismic cannons. The sniper assassin Princip can take out high value enemies from afar and the enigmatic Shea, sporting no less than three Liberator auto stubs, is frequently called on to show his lightning-quick gunplay. The team has infinite patience and can wait in ambush for days or weeks, springing from nowhere to overwhelm and defeat the enemies of the revolution. Oh, wow. I love there it. If I was allowed to clap, I would be clapping right now. <laughs> uh, this is amazing. This is uh, so. Is the the first citizen the name of a hero of the revolution? No, that's the broodlord. <laughs> well, that's the, the, the hero one. of the, the revolution. Hero. Oh, sorry. Yes, the hero of the revolution. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I dropped character there for a second. I've, I've forgotten that he's, uh, he's uh, the big brain, the benevolent boss. Yeah, that's... <laughs> So yes, wow. I, I'd love, to, I'd love, I'd love for him to sort of appear at some point towards the end of the campaign. Um, so one of the things I think that Sean and I would like to do over the sort of the weeks and months ahead is to take you on this journey with us, and we'll we'll take you through our our campaign. And one of the things I think is quite useful is if we sort of introduce you to some of the characters in our teams, and so that you can. Uh, you can see how they get on. Some of them may not make it to the end. And some of them may be, in quotes, heroes. <laughs> so um, <laughs> in my in my Wormblade team, they're um, they're led by Trotsky. And as you're going down this list, you'll realise that I've, I'm really leaning into the idea of these are revolutionaries, and I've slightly cheekily given them all famous revolutionary names. So Tro Trotsky's the leader. And he is armed with the power pick and the auto pistol. Yeah, if anyone knows the significance of that, do do write into the show. So I've got a Kellamorph, who I've called Shay, the mysterious enigmatic gunslinger. Um, who incidentally is like one of my favourite models in all of 40k. I just absolutely Kellamorph love that model. Kellamorph is really good. Yeah. I've got Princip, uh, who's the Sanctus sniper. Castro is. Uh, Gunner on the mining laser, I've got Jefferson on the seismic cannon. Thought that was very American sounding sounding <laughs> weapon. I have Mao on the grenade launcher, 
Stalin is on the Weber. Cromwell is the icon bearer <laughs> of an auto gun. And then I've got <laughs> Bolivar, Zapata, Louverture, and Robespierre, all with shotguns. Love it. So this is this is the team that hopefully you'll hear uh, more about. My base is going to be the Lucky Smells Sugar Factory, which I'm working <laughs> on at the moment. <laughs> so slightly second chair. So I'm, I'm quite fat of the uh, series of unfortunate events, and they have the oh, Lucky yeah. Smells Lumberjack Mill um, or Lumber Mill. Um, so I've, I've kind of borrowed from that, but I'm hoping to sort of change it to a Sugar Factory, sound a little bit better. I hope you've got um, a bit more fortune than the uh, characters in in those books. It, the, the names of the series of unfortunate events. I don't know what you're surprised. So the spec op that I'm running, I'm going with one of the specific ones to Wormblade. So I'm doing clandestine warfare. So I'm really embracing this idea that we're on a revolution. These are going to fight the oppressors. So what I need to do in my games, I need to score any Wormblade specific tack op five times. So that's once per game. So I can do this in a minimum of five games. And in addition to that, I need to, in at least one game, I need to get a friendly operative wholly into the uh, the drop zone of my enemy by the end of the battle, or at the end of the battle. So if I can complete all of those, I'll complete a spec op, uh, which will be really nice. So uh, with my four requisition points, I have gone for two strategic assets and two equipment stashes to start with, uh, two equipment no, what's the equipment called? Um, I've forgotten now. Anyway, it gets me it gets me ten equipment points. <laughs> Two RPs worth. So the strategic assets I've got an alchemical bio dispensary. That's basically a med bay Ooh. to anyone who looked at the vet <laughs> guard. Uh, so it's, this means I'm expecting lots of. I've got very squishy players. So I'm expecting lots of casualties. So that means I can re-roll a casualty or recovery test, which uh, I've is going to be quite useful and then um, I've got a worm ball network so one of the uh, sneaky things that the worm blade can do is so in a regular game for a, for a command point you can hide two players and bring them on in some point in the first turn and place them on the board so it's like springing from nowhere so with the worm ball network I can do three operatives can do that and it doesn't Ooh, cost me the command point that's filthy that that is dirty. I love uh, it, but I'll hate it when I'm playing against you. I'm <laughs> just saying, ruthlessly gonna gonna get this revolution done. <laughs> <laughs> and then equipment. I don't know if this is right, but I've gone for four climbing ropes. I've seen other people use climbing ropes, and they look super handy, especially if you've got heavy weapons guys who need to get somewhere. And a and a couple of blasting charges, which I'll probably give to the the shotgun guys. So that's it. That's that's the intro to the House of Special Purpose. That sounds fantastic, yeah. Well, that's nothing, because we haven't seen the Nexus Council yet. So, Sean, what, uh, what, yeah. what are you bringing us? <laughs> I'm bringing you only a paragraph backstory, because I'm going to let the story write itself upon the tabletop. <laughs> so, in my head, this campaign is going to take place after the events of our last campaign, which dependent on what happens in, in my game against Guy and his commanders, my Death Watch. My Death Watch kill team are going to go missing. Ooh. Ooh. So Watch Fortress Nexus 
and not stand by while their best kill team has gone MIA. The leaders have taken it upon themselves to go and retrieve what they can of their lost brothers and failing that, put an end to that which cut their service to the Emperor short. Short and sweet. I love it. Short and sweet. That's it. Re- revenge. Um, it's as old as time itself. <laughs> <laughs> so we're, Re- we're, no, no, no. We're when, when, the, when the Imperium does it, it's called retribution. Oh. <laughs> glorious, glorious retribution. The theory is that my the best of the best of what Fortress Nexus have come to try and find out what happened to uh to Snapdax's scalpels. And presumably Snapdax as well. Well he's a bit of an enigma himself. <laughs> so they are gonna be operating out of the teleportarium chamber of a now downed starship. The only reason that that's the place that they're operating out of is that they weren't on the starship when it crashed, but it's the only place that they could lock into. They teleported ah, down, okay. ended up in this starship, and now the systems are offline, so they can't get away again. This is home base <laughs> in this in this racket. I, I love how your your death your death watch have not only upgraded one to one in terms of their members, but their base as well. It's now a bigger ship. It's now a bigger ship. It still doesn't work, but it's a bigger ship. <laughs> yeah, uh, what was your uh, your initial HQ was a, I believe, a downed Corvus Black Star. I was about exactly, to say Corvus exactly. Corax. <laughs> <laughs> the Primarch himself carrying us upon into battle. No, yeah, it was a downed Corvus. So now we need to try and go find that. But mm-hmm. so our first spec up. We're going to be taking a Warp Coven specific one, which is Arcane Artifact, or Xenos Artifact, as I'm calling it, where I need to complete five games in which I glean information. So that could be using the the uh, Scry Secrets, where I try and probe your mind for any information you might be hiding from me, and various other ways. There's, there's a couple of backups that will let me right. tease the information out of you, whether you want me to or not. Proper Inquisition style. Uh, and then I need to complete a sorceress ritual, which I'm going to use my HQs to ritualistically cleanse all of these Xenos objectives uh, on the board. What, uh, an, what an obscure ritual. <laughs> <laughs> so I've taken a surveillance system, which in each game, if I select recon in the scouting step, I can use it an additional time. So if uh, when we're doing the, the scouting phase and I choose for the... Uh, I always... Recon's the free dash, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I get to free dash twice with with two different people. Very cool. I've also taken the Warp Coven specific one, Divine Orrery, which is going to be my Librarium Oculum, which is going to let my li- my actual librarian on the team kind of try and prophesize the future. So at the start of the battle, I'm going to secretly take note of a specific turning point other than the first. And when we're rolling off to determine initiative, I get to add an additional D3 to my roll. So it it could be quite decisive if if I choose turn three or even turn four. And if I if I reroll my dice for initiative, I have to reroll the D3 as well. So so it just means 
A, I could get an initiative of nine, which is always fun. But if you roll a two and I roll a one, I'm like, well, I do get my additional D3. <laughs> it could it could be pivotal. This also implies that you have an ability that lets you re-roll the initiative roll. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, and I think there are other things that can stack up for, for some sort of synergy. <laughs> so I've taken one equipment drop, which is going to give me a sorcerer scroll, or, as I'm flavoring it, it's going to give someone the ability to call down an orbital laser. Because the, the psychic spell it's going to give someone is the, is the firestorm. So I'm going to be able to go like, boop, 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 lasers <laughs> down from space. And I'm also taking the gilded horns, which are going to be some extra adrenal pumps, which is going to give a Zangor lethal five plus on one of the dice if he charged that turn into melee. He just loves it. Nice. So I have seven operatives. Uh, I'm going to start with the leader, a sorcerer which is going to be Watchmaster Dioscuri, a former Custodes that took command of Watch Fortress Nexus instead of going out and becoming an Emperor's Eye. His commanding presence on the battlefield is enough to reinvigorate his comrades and stop foes in their tracks. So I'm reflavoring a lot of the um, temperic psychic powers as just his commanding presence for reducing... Uh, people's charge and dash distances because no one wants to get close enough to him <laughs> and then uh he just has such a commanding presence that he can uh, just miraculously heal 2d3 wounds on any of his comrades have you given him the the copish or does he have a pistol he's got the two melee weapons so one for right, a the copish so right so he's, he's gonna be a monster in melee as well yeah exactly nice and especially as he's wielding a guardian spear and mm -hmm. um, flavoring the uh, the flux blast as the bolter on the end of his spear. Yeah, yeah. So you either get into combat against Minced or he's going to be firing these uh, force-filled bullets towards you. <laughs> next up, we have my next sorcerer, which is Chief Librarian Rakiz, the Salamander Librarian I mentioned earlier. He's making the salamanders proud. Rakiz is the embodiment of Vulcan's forge and flame. He can call fire from the sky, and he unleashes gouts from his inferno pistol. It's been many cycles since he last saw battle, and he remains impatient. So this is my fiery hothead uh, librarian who has a jump pack. So this is my librarian with flight. Uh. And he has all the all the flame powers. So we've got Firestorm, we've got a Warp Portal, and uh, I don't remember what the other one does because I have been doing the other two. <laughs> but, it, but, but is it smoking? Yeah, it's smoking. <laughs> Everything's smoking all the time. <laughs> my next sorcerer is my Judicia Meridian Pax. A better exemplar of the Emperor's zeal and wrath there is none. In stoic silence, he instills fear in his enemies and inspires his brothers to continue fighting with his displays of violence. So he's actually temperic as well. So he can do the healing, he can halt people's charges and everything. This is purely because they do not want to get near to him. So my, my librarian with jump pack was equipped with the warp flame pistol, so the mini hand flame, whereas the this year is equipped with two melee weapons again. 
So an another melee monster, then. Another melee monster. There may be a theme going down the list as we <laughs> as we continue. <laughs> but the Judicias are so cool. They're like chaplains in training, but they've got a vow of silence. Oh. So they're, yeah, this this silent, bloody streak across the battlefield. And he's got the, the Time Walker ability, so he's got an extra inch to his movement and charge. Ah, uh, very cool. He's just running and running, running into battle. <laughs> I, I love that you've gone for two Aetheric, or, or sorry, Tempiric sorcerers instead of uh, the full full Monty. The full, uh, the full set. No, I, I went for two Tempiric and one um, Aetheric. I think right was that a uh, was that a a narrative choice or was it a little bit crunchy it actually was a narrative choice because in my in my head the judicia is kind of in tutelage under my watchmaster right so he's he's kind of learning the tricks of the trade as he's as he's going along brilliant brilliant yeah although the fate weaver all the re-rolls against people or making your dice bad for the Fate Weaver discipline was really cool. The, <laughs> the next up on the list, I'll go quickly. We have the Rubric Icon Bearer, which is going to be my Primaris Ancient with Banner. He's called mm. Brother Ancient Dawn. Brother Dawn is so stuck in his ways, he refuses to update to more modern war gear, preferring his vintage belching power pack to the sleek and silent creations of calls. Uh, this is mainly because I built a Primaris Ancient and used a Chaos Backpack by accident. So I've shaved off all the spikes, and he's got these lovely <laughs> long vents coming out the back. And I was like, oh, Chaos. Remember? I was like, no. <laughs> he's got some very old war gear. <laughs> if it ain't broke. Yeah, exactly. Oh. It's still going. Well, can't you have torn it from the back of a traitor marine or something as a trophy? He could have. He could have. He's got a bionic leg, so he's certainly seen some action. I have a rubric heavy gunner who's taking the Soul Reaper chain cannon, who is being played by Eliminator Sergeant Butios. So he's one of my, he's my Eliminator Sergeant from Big Hammer. He's just got this massive long gun. <laughs> um, I thought it'd be quite a good stand-in. So he's specialising in extreme long-range combat equipped with a sniper rifle made of an amalgam of compatible xenotech. Like a bird of prey, he is singular in his mission and objective and the satisfaction of the kill. But he's a he's a Raven Guard sneaky sniper man. Ah. And then we have my two not Zangors, uh, a champion and a fighter apiece, Neophyte Theta and Neophyte Upsilon, who are actually replicas of Lord Inquisitor Snapdax himself. He commissioned two replicas of himself to be raised and trained within the Death Watch. These twins have an eerie synchronicity about them, and perhaps almost a synaptic link. To what extent does this genetic tampering end? I love Burn them. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I love those two. I think those are the coolest part of your kill team, the twins. Yeah, I've modelled them. I really, I used to love the game Army of Two. And there was a moment oh, when, yeah. when you play Army of Two and they go back to back. And the way I've modeled my two my two Zangors is that they if you if you stand them next to each other, they're like back to back. One with his massive he's got a massive great sword, and the other one's got his um auto pistol and, and chainsword and just ready to take on the world. 
I love I love that greatsword model conversion, by the way. You used an Age of Sigmar sword for that? I, I did. I was really struggling to find a set of arms that would fit a Phobos torso. They were both that were holding. I want, really wanted that stance of the two hands on the sword. Yeah. And then I was just so sick of regular Space Marine power swords, like the, oh, there's the blade, there's the two little sensors coming out of the I really wanted to mix it up. So there's got the, um, I think it's the, the Vanquishers or something. Maybe. Might be maybe. the Paladins. Maybe the Paladins, but it's this huge blade with like studded, spiky hilt going down to the handle. It's mad. It, it looks deadly. <laughs> Brilliant, brilliant. And that's but these are your, but these are your chaff, right? These are the ones you're going to be sacrificing <laughs> on some objectives. Yeah, these, these are these are the chaff. But I'll be, I'll be happy if they manage to do anything. Zangors are are pretty deadly, I think. Even if they're, even if they're chaff by warp coven standards, yeah, they're they're pretty solid. I hope so. Yeah, I've only played, I've only played with them twice now. So I'm still still learning the ropes. <laughs> well, I guess it's my go now. Um, I, I uh, <laughs> because I haven't really quite decided between Pathfinders and Talons yet, or rather, I'm probably going to play Pathfinders, but I haven't really come up with a, a lore for them. But I had something really cool and and, and interesting that I, I I'm quite attached to for my Talons proxies, and the idea is rooted in the history of the Imperial Fists and their conflict with the Iron Warriors. So, you know, like in M, I think M41 or something, there was this big battle between the Iron Warriors and the Imperial Fists that, uh, in which, you know, one of the big names in the Imperial Fists, Darnath Lysander, made some massive tactical blunders and got half of their companies almost completely wiped out or something along those lines. And my logic is that the Iron Warriors managed to capture some squads of Imperial Fists in that battle and take to some demon world somewhere. And one of the things that the Iron Warriors, or at least their leader, is um, is quite famous for is demonic possession. So what he did was he possessed these imperial fists with demons. But because they're imperial fists and stubborn as all hell, they managed to resist the demonic possession long enough for them to be rescued by a chapter called the Exorcists. Yes. And the exorcists are a chapter of space marines that have this as an initiation ritual where they have their neophytes get possessed by a demon for X number of days before exorcising the demon. And what this does is that it leaves them immune to demonic possession ever again. And it also makes them quite resistant to sorcery and warp magic and things like that. So what happened with these Imperial Fists was that they were rescued by the exorcists and they were exor- and their demons were exorcised, the ones that survived anyway. But because they'd been possessed for so much longer than the average exorcist neophyte, 
it turned them into psychic blanks. And those are going to be my sisters of silence. <laughs> so when they came back to the Imperial Fists, they were accepted back into the fold. Uh, but their demonic possession has left them a little bit weaker. It's uh, it's um, burnt out some of the the organs that you know make a space marine a space marine. So they're not quite as effective as a regular space marine. And that's where the two APL comes in instead of three APL. I have so... heard you need a soul for the extra heart to really. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. I might I might write that out. <laughs> um so to supplement their, you know, new deficiencies, uh they've been supplemented with a squad of Imperial Fist Terminators, air quotes, which are my custody proxies. Primaris aggressors with hammers and shoulder mounted gatling guns. And uh, and and to show the allegiance, or rather the debt that these Imperial Fists owe to the Exorcist chapter, they've painted one of their arms red, matching the colors of the Exorcists. I love that. And that, yes. that's why. This Sorry, is sounding much better than sounding much better than Pathfinders. I'm loving it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love the story so much that I'm I'm really still tempted to play them instead of Pathfinders. I think where you could take the stories of these that's just the beginning. That's it. That's the that's that's game yeah. before game one. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> this is great. But yeah, that's uh that's the kill team that I wanted to talk about for this for this section here. Well, listeners. Uh, that's the kind of quality background <laughs> that we want to hear about. <laughs> that was great. I love it. But I think that might be us wrapping up this segment of the show. So next time on Once Upon a Kill Team, we're going to be talking about great narrative kill teams that GW will never make. There's a wealth of potentially amazing narrative kill teams out there that will never be officially released. The obvious one being squats. They'll never be made. Don't even think about it. Uh, hold on, hold on. I'm just getting some news a news flash through. Uh, apparently, they are going to make the squats. Anyway, <laughs> just to say, we, uh, we, we planned these episodes quite a few ahead, and I put this in about a month ago we absolutely convinced that there would never be squats. Why, why and it's all been turned on its head. No, but I would like to say there's there's lots of other t the kill teams that there really will never be any official kill team for. And we're going to talk a little bit about how we think you can proxy some of those teams. You've heard some of our proxy ideas in this and other episodes already. So that'd be a fantastic episode for next time. And if what you've heard on this podcast sounds even remotely interesting, subscribe and tell your friends. For every subscription to the podcast, your Warp Coven sorcerers get a fresh new boon free of charge. You are welcome. Thank you for joining us on Once Upon a Kill Team. Just remember, it's not whether you won or lost. It's whether your death jester suits at the enemy leader on advantage, seemingly misses, but in fact shoots away a strut so that a bar falls on the operative's head, who falls over and sets off a blasting charge. The laughs never stop when you play the murder clowns. See you next time. <laughs>